Hello and welcome to this edition of All In. Every week we get together here to talk about being all in with the Lord. And uh, there's always a different topic, but usually it ends up revolving around faith. And I know that faith is an important element that most of us need to know more about. And my name is Art Cardos, and I like to talk about faith. But today I'd like to actually talk about something else that's faith, but it's called fear. And the reason I'd like to talk about fear is because right now, in this time in our country, uh, there is quite a bit of anxiety and fear over a certain virus that is all over the place and seemingly all over the place. But fear is an element of faith. It actually is a perverted faith. I want you, we need to discuss it because how you handle the bombardment of the news and the media plays a role in your life. Uh, you know, right now, uh, there is a large scale uh, movement by the media to like be the best reporter in the world to tell you how awful things are, I guess. But I'm not going to get into the facts and statistics of who's got what or how this is, but it's a virus and it's out there and it it's, uh, you know, like all viruses, it's, it's, it's to some people, it's nothing and to some people whose immune systems are compromised, it could be a lot. But we don't want to talk about whether or not you should know it's out there. The, there's a lot out there. You know, if we, if, you don't, if we don't know that by now, that there is an awful lot of um, junk, that, so to speak, that tries to attack us every day, then we may fall prey to this any day with any disease or any situation. So today I'd like to talk a little bit about fear because prior to fear, there was only faith. Adam, prior to the fall, only used faith. He believed, and it worked, and it was always good. And it wasn't until an element was added where Lucifer talked him into eating from that other tree, getting some data, getting some information from Lucifer himself instead of the tree of life, that fear entered in. And then, of course, in Genesis, it talks about how Adam and Eve feared God. They hid. They actually hid. They were afraid. So fear entered when they ate from the tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So the knowledge of evil seems to be a culprit. And for us who are believers... You know, we, I know we're all at different stages of our faith and different stages of belief. Some people believe Jesus died on the cross and, and, and he is the Son of God and he rose from the dead and that we're going to go to heaven. And that guarantees you eternal life. And it does. But what about today? What about living here on earth? What about how we conduct ourselves on a daily basis. Are we germophobic? Are we fearful? Are we afraid of everything? What does God say about it? I think that would be the place to start. And, um, and, and just thinking in terms of how to conduct our lives and not to allow fear to be the reason we do things or the reason we don't. One of the reasons God went to some such extreme uh, challenge or trouble or to redeem us back after Adam fell was so that he wouldn't leave the universe in a state of fear. Fear causes all kinds of internal issues. It causes anxiety. It causes depression. It causes just a hopelessness. So fearing God or fearing the Creator is not what God ever wanted for anyone. So in this first half of the program, at least, we're going to talk about fear. We'll see how far we get. And then in the second half of the program, we'll, we'll introduce a new topic if there's time. So, fear. So, first of all, prior to fear, it was only faith. Then, fear came in. Here in Job 3.25, and most people know this one because uh, if you've ever heard anything from the Bible, so I'm sure somebody quoted Job because 
God may want to treat you like Job, where it says here in Job 3, verse 25, Job says, For the thing which I greatly fear comes upon me, and that which I am afraid of befalls me. Well, that's a profound statement. So wouldn't let's just reverse that for a second and say, let's suppose that wasn't Job, it was Jesus talking, and he was saying, the thing I have faith for comes upon me, and the thing which I believe for befalls me. Well, that's exactly what fear has done to Job. Job started to believe it. His imagination ran wild, and all these things came on him. Go read the book of Job. I'm not going through that today either. But fear is a powerful, perverted tool of the devil. So as you listen to all the fear in the world, and by now, even without the coronavirus, okay, there's so much fear. People are afraid to even travel to certain parts of town, go to certain places, and now adding a a virus to it um, causes fear to elevate. It causes it to elevate for those that have ears to hear the fear. Those that have ears to hear the fear. Now, that doesn't mean we aren't to be respectful of situations and and careful and, and watchful, but fear is something you don't want to be doing while you're being respectful. You don't need to fear it. You need to be respectful. Sure, we wash our hands and we do things that eliminate the opportunity for germs. But don't do it out of fear. Do it out of wisdom. Do it because God's instructing you to do it to keep you safe, okay, from the rest of the world that might be not doing it, causing and allowing different things out there to be around that they could hurt people. But if you live in faith and not fear, your whole life will be different. So, um, where am I at here? Let's see. But a man who doubts is uh, about eating. This is much, this is a different scripture here. It might be from Isaiah. I think this is Isaiah 41.10. And it says, But the man who doubts about eating and then eats stands condemned. Because he has not, he is not true to his convictions, and does not act from faith. For whatever does not obligate and proceed from faith is sin. Whatever doesn't proceed from faith is sin. That means fear is sin. Fear is sin. But I want to go back to where it was talking about eating, because there were certain foods. They were not about, uh, not allowed to eat. And then, of course, uh, through uh, the blessing of the Lord and, and praying over the food, and the Lord brought to them and Peter and told them he could eat these certain foods now because they were sanctified. You know, some people are afraid to eat certain foods. And I, I get that. I understand, especially if you've ever gone anywhere where you've watched it being prepared. <laughs> it could definitely have that effect on you. But when we pray, you know, I've heard a lot of prayers about food, and um, one of the things, uh, it drives me crazy, I guess, is when we're just saying, bless the food, bless the people, blah, 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 blah. Okay, what we're doing is we are sanctifying the food. It is a very serious moment. I don't pray over the food because I want everybody else to be blessed. I'm praying over the food so that it's cleaned up, sanctified, made wholesome and healthy, in the name of Jesus. And I believe that. I actually believe that there's a molecular structure change because I'm praying over the food. Now, I don't know a lot of people believe that. I, I don't think they think that way. They're just used to saying grace. And that's nice. Not saying you shouldn't say grace, but sanctify that food. Speak to that food. Okay? Then let's go down. Because after that, it says if you pray over your food, but you don't really believe it's sanctified or cleaned up, you're condemned. It's not. So there's an element of belief that has to come into play here. So that's number one. Number two is, it's, he goes on to say, 
that whatever does not originate and proceed from faith is sin. Now, as Christians, you know, we have we feel pretty confident that all our sins are forgiven. And they are. You will make it to heaven if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that he rose from the dead for the purpose of paying for your sin. He, you will. But what about here on earth? If, if we continue to work, live in fear, if it's not out of faith, it is absolutely sin causing situations to happen in your daily life. Yeah, you'll make it into heaven, but why not live a successful, free life here on earth? That thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth, on earth as it already is in heaven. So, fear is a thing. Fear is a sin. God says it is. So would you walk around sinning every day on purpose as a Christian? Or would you walk around fearing every day as a Christian? Because both are the same element. Faith and fear are opposites. They're, they're the same power. The same power it takes to believe for something in faith is what you're doing with fear because you're imagining the worst and believing and expecting, and maybe even more because you get help from everybody when you fear something. It seems like fear becomes the element by which everybody just jumps on board and says, yeah, boy, you know, I, I hear you, man. I don't know. What are you doing to, what are you doing to, to, get, to, get to hide from this thing or that thing? So fear is a really important element. Now, fear not. It says, fear not, for I am with you. This is, uh, I'm a little confused here on where I got this from, but um, fear not, for I am with you, and do not look around in terror or be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen and harden you to, to difficulties. Yes, I will help you. Yes, I will hold you up and retain you with my right hand and righteousness and justice. See, the, the word fear, I did a little search here on fear, and it's, it's in the Bible over 95 times, fear not. And um, I forget how many Old Testament, how many New Testament, but it's there a lot. We're not to fear. So in Exodus 14, 13, Moses told the people, fear not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians you have seen today, and you shall never see again. So they were fearing, he's just even walking out, that the Egyptians were going to let them go. And Moses is saying, fear not. That was in Exodus 14, 13. In Judges 6, 23, the Lord said to him, Peace be to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. In Isaiah 8.12, do not call conspiracy, or hard, or holy, or all the people will call conspiracy, neither be in fear, or what they fear, you know, nor in dread. So he's telling the people, don't fear, don't get into sin. That's what it means there. Um, Isaiah 35.4, say to those who are of a fearful and hasty heart. Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, and recompense of God will come and save you. God's vengeance is to come again, not against you and I, but to come against your mountain, to come against your problem, to come against the thing you fear. That's what God's plan is. So as we're being filled up with all the fear of traveling and this and that, yes, we want to be respectful. We don't want to carry germs to the senior citizens or anyone who can harm. But at the same time, I will not fear. I will not live in fear. I refuse to fear. Fear not. That's what God's telling us to do. Jeremiah 42, 11. Be not afraid of the king of Babylon, of whom you are fearful. Uh, be not afraid of him, says the Lord, for he's a mere man, 
while I am all wise, all powerful, and ever present, uh, I am your Lord, I am with you to save you and deliver you from his hand. I wonder how many of us believe that God is with you, with us all, every single day to deliver us. Like, if you walk into now, uh, during this period of time, let's say you walk into a place where a lot of people have been, and maybe you are thinking about germs. Do you declare inside of you, in your imagination, my God is with me. He is my fortress. In him I will trust. And go before me, Lord, and make the crooked way straight. Clean up this stuff so there is no germs that'll touch me. Or do we just walk around fearful? That's what I'm talking about. Don't let fear rule you like Adam and Eve did in the garden after the fall. You've got to address this. Because not only for this particular virus, but just in life in general, you can't walk around in fear. Luke 12, 32. It says, Do not be seized with alarm and struck with fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. There's that kingdom thing again. What does that mean? The kingdom overrides everything. The kingdom of God overrides every sickness, every disease, every lack. His kingdom come. Thy will be done. What is the kingdom? You need to find out what the kingdom is. Last week's program, we talked about the kingdom. We'll talk about it again later, or we'll talk about it next week. But you got to know what the kingdom is. It's not just a word. It's not when you get to heaven. Thy kingdom come. It's a government of divine laws. It's a government of divinity. G-O-D, government, G-O of D, divinity. You can remember it that way. Government. It's a government of rules, and it's here to protect you. But if you don't know that, you allow fear to take the place of faith. So anyone who's operating in fear really is operating in perverted faith. Wow. Nobody wants to hear that, do we? But yet, it exists. You say, well, I don't know. Or I, I've been, I, I get depressed. I get anxiety. I get fearful. I get worried. You're in sin. I'm sorry. You're in sin. Go to the Word of God, repent, and ask the Holy Spirit to show you another way. <clears throat> of course, by learning the Word of God, you'll be set free. But you have to replace that fearful thinking with the Word of God, because that's how faith comes. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. Fear comes by hearing and hearing the word of the devil or the lie of the devil. There's a lot of lies out there right now. Oh, man, Lucifer's like at an all-time high for lying to all of us. And we have to watch out and be careful. We have to be watchful in our faith, fighting the good fight of faith. That's what it means. You wake up every day, you bombard it in your brain. Fix it. Replace it with the Word of God. Uh, let me read to you here, John fourteen twenty seven. Peace I leave you, my peace I now give to you and bequeath to you. Not as the world gives it, do I give it to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And uh, it says, and this is the Amplified, it says, Stop allowing yourselves to be agitated and disrupted disturbed, and do not permit yourselves to be fearful and intimidated and cowardly and unsettled. Wow! Can you imagine? You know anybody like that? I mean, there's a lot of people out there that are totally unsettled, and that's what Jesus is telling us. I'm bringing you a peace, the kind of peace that's not like the world. It's the kind you can rely on, that your Heavenly Father will deliver you from every evil of this present world. He will set you free. He will take care of you. Trust in Him with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding or the ways of the world, because they will convince you, if possible, they will convince you that fear is okay. It's okay to fear. Man, your neighbors are afraid. Everybody's afraid. It's a great time to be afraid. Well... I'm sorry, it's still sin. So, if you, as a Christian, you want to continue to walk in sin, then continue to be in fear. 
and continued to worry. I know it sounds harsh, but come on, we got to grow up. We've got to realize that we can take charge of what we're thinking. We can take charge of praying over our food. We can take charge of praying over anything that comes into the house and killing germs, speaking to them and say, every germ and every virus that comes into this home or into this business dies instantly in the name of Jesus. How about that one? So we have to think about this beyond just saying, oh man, I don't know what we're going to do now. Can you imagine if in the Old Testament, some of those people and some of the stories we've read, if they would, I mean, in the guys that were thrown into the furnace, what would they have said? How would it have gone if they said, oh, man, now we really messed up. They're going to throw us and they're heating up the furnace hotter than it was before. We're, We're doomed. What did they say? Our God will deliver us. Wow. No fear there. Not been given that fear. No, no, no. And that's what comes up in the next scripture. 2 Timothy 1.7. Okay? For God did not give us a spirit of timidity or fear or cowardice or cringing. Okay? But he's given us a spirit or a power of love and calm and well-balanced mind, and discipline, and self-control. That is the gift of God. That's the gift of God. Well, now let's get this straight. Are we going to live like we have been given a gift from God? Or are we going to live purposely in fear? Because you do. You have to make that decision purposely. You've got to decide, we all have to decide, what we're going to do. I've not been given a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and sound mind. Though the mountains tumble into the sea, and the earth be done away, still will I not fear. Wow, have you said that lately? I've not been given a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and of sound mind. Though the mountains tumble into the sea, and the earth be done away, still will I not fear. How about Psalm 91? I don't know if you know Psalm 91, but it's one of my favorites. And you have to read it because it's kind of long. But it says, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Now, could you imagine if you're under His shadow, how close you are to Him? And then it says, I will say of the Lord, He's my refuge. He is my fortress. In Him I do trust. Surely He shall deliver me from the snare of the fowler. From the perilous pestilence he shall cover me with his feathers, and under his wings I shall take refuge. His truth is my shield and my buckler, and I shall not be afraid of the terror that comes by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. Now listen to this. A thousand might fall at my side, and ten thousand at my right, but it shall not come near me. How about this? A thousand might get the virus on my side, 10,000 at my right, but it shall not come near me. Only with my eyes shall I look and see the reward of the wicked, for I have made the Lord God even the most high my habitation. Huh? I made him my habitation. Therefore, no evil will befall me, neither shall any plague come near my dwelling. For God has given his angels charge over me, that they should bear me up in their hands, lest I dash my foot against a stone. He shall, I shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, and the young lion and the serpent I will trample underfoot. Because he has set his love upon me, saith the Lord, I will deliver him. He will call upon me, and I will answer him, because he has known my name. With long life I will satisfy him, and show him my salvation. Is that the way you're acting? Is that the way you're talking? Is that the way you're reacting when other people are in fear? Fear not. That's the message. So as we go through our week, go through the month, and hear all these concerns all over the world. Remember who you are in Christ. 
you are redeemed from the curse that's attached to the breaking of the law. And no plague shall come near your dwelling. None. Believe it. Pray it. We were talking about fear and not to fear and fears of sin. And we all live our lives compartmentized in certain areas, you know. And right now in this world, things are shaking. It's beginning to shake. And that's exactly what the Word of God told us would happen, was it got nearer to what they call the end of the age. And, uh, and things begin to quake and shake, and, and, and you just, you wish it would just be calm, wouldn't, don't you? Like, you could just not think about anything, and everything is just wonderful, and, and, and you don't have to worry about anything, and you have enough money, and you're not sick, and your kids aren't sick, and the whole family's good. But the reality is, it's a dangerous world out there. So, in this segment, I'm going to switch from talking about fear which I was talking about, how to uh, not participate in the fear movement. Let's talk about how we are as human beings, because, I mean, at my age, which I'm not that old, but I'm older than some who are listening, um, I, I mean, I remember back when I was 25 years old, saying and praying to the Lord and saying, Lord, what's, how does your kingdom work? How, how can I use it to benefit me to get closer to you, number one, but also to feed my family, to take care of business, and to just live a life? How, how, what's the fastest road to coming to know you? And it's, it's now going down the road, you know, I'm not giving away my age, but going down the road, you know, 40 years later, you know, there's like being in a desert, right? I mean, you go through so many things. You learn so many things that you should have did, could have did, or didn't do. And if I had to convey that message to someone I loved, um, I, I would do. I would just give them a few sample tips, and you could take it for what it's worth. But if I could just have known then, at at age 20 or 25 what I'm about to say, I think, and known it, not just read it, like I read it, but to know it, to know that you know that you know, right? What would you say? So what I would say is, number one, to absolutely know that God is who he said he is, number one. Number two, to understand that there is this thing called the kingdom that he talks about. The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is a, a, a number of things that occur in the earth that we can activate to get the kingdom working on our behalf. You know, and, and so let's, let's take it from a, a business perspective or a, a financial perspective first. Let's say you're someone who just wants to make more money. And you're not sure you're stuck. You, you feel stuck. Like you maybe you have some money coming in, but there's no, you don't you don't feel confident about it. You don't have enough, and you want more. You know. So what happens is there's a big trap in that, in the sense that we tend to covet what we have. Be careful with it. And so therefore, you're not really in a giving mode because if you give it away, then you don't have it. And yet the Bible talks to us about sowing and reaping. That's the whole message of how this kingdom works. So what's the first thing to do? The Bible first says to tithe. Okay, what does that mean? If you don't know, it means 10% of what comes into you, you should turn around and plant or give, sow seed, give it with a good giving heart, with a heart that, in other words, not begrudgingly, but give it. So the first thing I would do is I would begin to tithe. Now, if you're back at age 20 or 25 and you're hearing this and you want to try something, I'll tell you, if, you could, if you're living with your parents or you're living home or, or on your own, whatever, but <coughs> I would take every dollar I could <coughs> and begin to sow it into God's work with a goal of having a certain income coming in every week that you're expecting God to provide because you're being obedient to the tithe and the offering. That's what I would do, number one, differently. I would say, 
And back then, if I was making 500 a week or 300, I don't even remember, three, 400 a week, maybe it would seem like a lot of money in those days. Um, if I could take 200 of it and start giving it, sewing it, sewing it, sewing it, and live off the 100, uh, you know, if it was 300, right? So that's one of the things I would do. Because you're going to reach a point where you start to be overtaken by things. Now, in addition to that, if I wasn't just giving away money, okay, but your time is valuable. So as a young person, you can help people and you put a value on your time. So back then, the value on an hour of work, whatever you were being paid, is a value. So it has a value to it. So if you sew an hour a week or four hours a week or eight hours a week, one whole day of work to, to an organization or somewhere, it's translated into a certain value. And so sowing and reaping, I would begin by doing that, number one. Now, number two, I would sit down and I would have exact goals in mind. If I want to make $1,000 a week now, or if I want to make $2,000 or $5,000 or $10,000, whatever your case might be, I would know exactly what that number is. And it has to be a number that you can bring yourself to believe somewhat, okay? Because if you write down a number, I want to, I'm going to be a millionaire in 10 days. Well, that's possible. Uh, there are ways that can happen. But... If you then begin to disbelieve it to such a degree that you're just laughing at it, well, I would not, you're not in a spirit of expectation. So I would put a number down that's believable by yourself, but then there has to be a level of expectation. And how is that money going to come? Are you, is it going to come because you want to start a business or is it going to become because God is going to supernaturally bring it in. So let's assume you're in the giving mode, in the tithing mode, and you are sowing seed. And maybe you've been doing this for a month or two or three. And maybe you're sowing a couple hundred dollars a week. And now, if you have set no goals, if you have no clear vision, then you're just, as you're building a bank account in the spirit world. That's what the Bible means when it says, Put your treasure in heavenly places where thieves can't get it, moths can't destroy it. Put it in the heavenly bank account, and you do that by sowing. So once you've done that, so you, you clearly write the vision down. And of course, in the book of Habakkuk, it gives you a list of things to do. Number one, decide what you want. Number two, write it down so it's crystal clear. It's crystal clear. Let's suppose that you have a business, whatever it is, and you're saying, Father God, I am sowing over here so that this business can be blessed and I can earn this amount of money. And I receive that by faith. Now, I'm expecting that. And when I sow my seed over here, I am placing that expectation on a supernatural development that has nothing to do with me. And it will come to pass. If you knew that anything you asked God for would absolutely happen, what would you ask for? And I'm going to tell you, it, in my experience, it will happen. It can, and it absolutely will. But we have to first do these couple steps, okay? So step one is decide what it is. And that's just on the business end. You may have to decide also on your uh, uh, home end, like, are you going to get married? Are you married? Um, you, how, how about my spouse? You put it all together, home, business, social, mental, physical, spiritual, financial. But right now, financial and personal, okay? So write it down. Do you want to have a house? Do you want to own a house? Totally paid for. Write it down. What kind of house? Where do you want to live? Be specific. When I did this early on, and it was cars for me initially, there were cars that I wanted and I needed, and I liked cars. I always did like cars. I collected cars for a long time. Before I got married, I had 10 cars. Yeah, I had 10 of them, and a motorcycle, you know, and, uh, and a race car and all that stuff. So 
I had believed for that, and they came, but they were all paid for. There was no, there were no loans. There was none of that. It was all paid for. So when I converted back to cash, it was all cash. So it's okay to want something. God actually wants to give you something you want, but He wants you to give Him something He wants, and that's that He wants you and I to listen to Him, to follow His rules, follow His laws. So if I was young again, and I'm not in a spirit of anxiety over the fact that the bills aren't yet paid, I would give as much as possible with expectation of receiving what my goals were, and I would have them listed. Now, is it okay to set more than one goal? Absolutely. I would set 25. I would set 50. How do you do that, Art? Well, first of all, you take one thing at a time. Let's suppose your monthly amount of money that you need to use to pay your, your bills is this amount. You say, thank, Father, thank you. I'm agreeing that because I'm sewing over here, you are going to take care of these bills over here. Or I'm believing for a house totally debt-free. Debt-free? A home that I don't have to have a mortgage on? Well, if you don't ask, you don't have. You have not because you ask not. Why do you ask not? Because you believe not. You don't. We've been trained. We've been trained that the way you buy a house... Is, not, is, is that you go to the bank and get a partner. They partner with you and give you the money. Nothing wrong with that. But you can also have a miracle happen in a way that money can come to you or a house can come to you and you don't owe a dime on it. Wouldn't that be great? So as a kid, these are the things I would do. Number one, I'd get into tithing, at least tithing. I would get some offering money sewn, and I would give as much as possible, knowing that the Lord is going to bring it back. At the same time, I would write down these goals. I would get pictures of them. Let's suppose you wanted a, a really nice car. I mean, I don't care if it's Cadillac or Corvette or whatever, but you're, if you're single, why not? If you're married, you have responsibilities. Get your wife the car first. Make sure hers is paid for or whatever you're doing for the family. Take care of them first, but write it down. Get a picture of it. Make a vision board. Get the picture up there where you can see it every day. So you can begin to thank God every day. That's coming. Oh, it's coming. It's coming. It's coming. Get your expectation up that it's coming. You know, in life, we, we accept the fact that uh, babies are born. And if you've ever seen an expectant mother... They do show signs of expectation. <laughs> there is a time where they show signs of it. And there comes a time where it's very uncomfortable for them to the point where they can't wait to get this over with. And so they are expecting to deliver a baby. Why? You haven't seen the baby yet. Well, today with ultrasound and everything else, they're going to tell you what's in there, but you still got to believe. So, expectation is a part of something being born. When you set a goal and you begin to thank God that it's coming, because you're sowing, it's coming, it's coming. There's no doubt. There's no doubt. There's no doubt. The Bible says whenever two or more agree, that's the beautiful thing about being married, if you are married, you have two or more, you can agree on anything. And it shall be done by our Heavenly Father. By who? By our Father. You don't have to do it. Who does the work? The Father does the work. What is your part of the work? Your part of the work is believing it. Believing it. Expecting it. Almost looking every day like, wow, did it come yet? Did it come yet? Did you ever order something you really wanted online or anywhere? And, and you knew it was coming from FedEx or, or Amazon or, or any of the delivery systems that we have today, and you just couldn't wait till it got there, that is the kind of expectation that you place on these dreams or goals. Owning a home, totally paid for. Having a car, totally paid for. Having two cars, one for her, one for you, totally paid for. All bills, totally paid. Excess in the bank to be able to give more to the Lord. And as your income increases, which it will, 
you sow more, 10% of a larger number, giving more, giving more. I, I like to have a goal for how much I give every week. So therefore, here's the tithe mark, here's the offering mark, but here's how much I really want to give. So I'm looking for opportunities to sow. If I run out of cash that week to sow, then I still have time that I can convert the cash by offering my services or what I do for a value that I'm keeping track of as sowing, giving. Okay, so now you're up to the point where you have goals. Can I have 10? Can I have 25? Yes. You can have as many as you take the time to research and get a picture of. Write it down. Pray over. Father, thank you that I am now, as of this date and this time, this day, I am offering to you this goal that I have, this prayer request that I have, knowing that I have given, and it is given unto me. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and flowing over. Shall men and women bring unto my bosom? That's what the Word of God said. Well, it says men bring unto my bosom. I added the word women, too. I don't care who brings it. But by believing and expecting things, good things, begin to start happening. When you expect bad things to happen, bad things happen. When you expect the worst, the worst happens. Why? We talked about it in the first half of this program. Fear is perverted faith. So the opposite of what we're talking about is to fear that you're never going to own a home, never going to pay your bills, never going to be quite healthy, never going to, never going to, never going to. Hopelessness. That is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is that you can be. As a matter of fact, it says in God's Word that Jesus became poor. When he left heaven, he was wealthy beyond comprehension. He was the Son of God in heaven as well as he is the Son of God here. He laid it all down and came to earth. He became poor that we, through his poverty, might have abundance. For he came to give us life and give it to us more abundantly. So, receive it. Believe it. I don't believe a lot of churches teach this, and I, I think they're afraid of it. I think they're afraid to talk about money, to talk about all that. But listen, if I've got an extra $1,000 this week that I can give away to help people, that solves a lot of problems for at least one person that I can give it to. Why not, you, why not, why not let yourself be that person that's giving it away? Giving away 1000 a week. Giving away more than that. Giving away a house. Maybe you have two, and you can sow a house to someone else. You know, one of my stories from my past is we helped a family. At one point, I was part of an organization, and I was uh, the president of this organization. And we helped a family that needed a car, and they needed a car to get off welfare so that they could, or to get a job that would help them get off welfare. He couldn't get to work, obviously, without a car in that case. <clears throat> and so a few of us got together and fixed up an old Volvo and sowed that seed into that family. Out of that came a, a, an abundance of things. Number one is it somehow got in the newspaper because somebody wrote an article. They were so happy, this family, that it got in the newspaper that they had received a car from this organization. And because of receiving the car, he was able to get a job, get off welfare. And so it got in the newspaper, and then the local TV station came out and did a news report and put it on there. And then the big station where I'm at in Philadelphia here came out and did a report on it. It was a long time ago. It really was. Ronald Reagan was the president. And the reason I remember that is because the news report that weekend was Ronald Reagan had a pilot removed, and this organization gives cars away to the poor. Well, at that point, there was only one car, and at that, at that time, there were no websites. So they only put the phone number up. Well, the phone started ringing, and I'm not kidding. I mean, it kept ringing, and people donating cars. We literally had over 500 cars donated. I'm not kidding. 
I mean, if you've ever sit there and have people calling in, hey, I have a car, I'd like to donate it to your organization. I think this was probably before all this boat donating, veteran donating. We were probably one of the first ones because it was so long ago. And I didn't know what to do because now you have all these cars. You have to go pick them up. It costs money to pick them up. <laughs> Fortunately, there was a few of us who were gathered together working on it. But it became a real amazing event to see 500-plus cars donated by people because they saw what happened. So this one seed produced all of this. Why am I telling you about that? Because when we do things with the right heart, and we do it to serve the Lord, God will bring it in a hundredfold return. Pressed down, shaken together, and flowing over. Now, am I telling you to give cars away now? But if you have three, maybe you consider finding a family that could really use one debt-free and give them the car. If you have extra houses and you know a family needs one, Maybe you could set them up so they're debt-free. Do you know what value that would bring in your world? Because you can't outgive God. He will bring it back. Now, that's why it's important to have identified goals written down. Make them big. God will do the work. You don't have to do the work. You just do the part about the sowing. He will do the part where he brings in the reaping. So, that's how the kingdom works. So, reap. So, going back in time, if I could do anything different, I would just give more up front. I would set more goals. I would be more crystal clear. I would call things that are not as though they are. I mean, I know people pray every day, but how many people do that? How many people call things that are not as though they are? You have a loan in front of you on a house. Maybe you already have a mortgage. And start call. You don't say it's my mortgage. Start calling it paid in full mortgage. That's my paid in full mortgage. That mortgage is paid in full. I thank you, Lord. Call things that are not as though they are. Faith is the, in Hebrews, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. If you don't display any evidence through your talking and believing, then you have no faith at work. All you say is, man, I'll never get this mortgage paid. I'll never get out from under this loaded debt. I am so see, and you are contributing to your own demise. Because words matter. And that's the next part. Because in James 2, the power of life and death is in the tongue. The power of life and death is in the tongue. What are you saying all day long about your circumstance and situation? What are you saying to your to your partner when you're alone? Well, how are you talking? Oh, man, I don't know. This is not good. So, watch your tongue. The tongue changes everything. But number one, give, and it shall be given unto you. Number two, decide what you want, write it down. Number three, pray, get an agreement, and begin to expect a miracle. And then, keep on believing. And begin to praise God and thank Him that it's already done. Call things that are not as though they are. It's very important. It's a simple thing, but it's not simple. In daily life, I know it's tough to do the things I just said and do them consistently. You have to, on purpose, grab your tongue and stop talking and only speak the things you want to happen. If you could do that for 90 days, wow, 90 days, 90 days, you would see a whole different transformation in your life. I know a lot of people say, feels like this always happens to me, or I always end up in the same place. I call it the merry-go-round effect. It's because they never stop saying the same things. And because they are saying the same thing over and over and over again, they are uh, experiencing the same thing over and over and over again. So, in getting close to wrapping this up, Will you take the challenge and change your life? I know everybody's waiting for God to do a miracle for them, but God has. He sent His Son to defeat your enemy. And now, He's given you and I the tools to take over and win. That's right, win every time. 
no matter what the circumstance is, health, wealth, eternal life. I didn't say it was easy, but I did say he gave us the tools to do it. Then he sat down and said, not because he was tired. He didn't, you know, he says, you know, God created everything in seven days, six days, and rested on the seventh. He didn't sit down because he was exhausted. He sat down because he was finished. And then when Jesus said the famous words on the cross, it is finished. What do you think he meant? It's finished. I have now gotten back all the tools for anybody who wants to be restored to where Adam was before the fall. Got him back. Are you using them? Are we using them to the fullest? I venture to say we're not. Again, fear and to fear is sin. Bible says anything apart from faith is sin. So, use faith to expect and believe for what you need in life and want. And start by sowing a seed. Sow something, give something, and expect something. Expect that God will do it for you. You don't know how. Matter of fact, it says in, the, in God's Word, the sower sows the Word, in Mark 4, 11, and the Word goes out, and you go to sleep night and day, and the Word grows. You don't know how of yourself. First the blade, then the stalk, then the fruit. You and I don't need to know how, because God is doing it for you. So the challenge is, let God do more for you. Don't try to do it and prove to God that His Word works. Take His Word, believe it, expect the best, and let God show you how it works in this life. So this has been an interesting program. I hope it's helped a little bit. I know that each one of us needs to grow every day, and I, I just hope and pray that each day our minds are opened to clearly see what God is doing in our life. Let Him do more. Get out of the way. Believe, expect, and thank God that He wants you to prosper in every area of your life. Thanks for being with us. This is All In. We'll see you again next week.